Here at No Higher Calling, we want to say thank you to all of our faithful listeners and encouragers. As a thank you gift, um, now through December 1st, you can get in on the Thanksgiving sale on www.nohighercalling.org. All of our resources for the heart and home are available at 25% off, which is the biggest sale of the year um, when you use the code THANKFUL, all capital letters, T-H-A-N. K-F-U-L. There are wonderful things that you will find for yourself, gifts for others, lots of great gifts for new mamas. Um, But we hope that these different resources will be a blessing to you and that you can take advantage of this sale to get these products in your home. Ladies, it's Brittany Brazel. The Lord has given me a passion for motherhood and homemaking. From that passion, a ministry has birthed no higher calling. There is no higher calling on my life than to be wife to Simeon and mama to my littles. I still have so much to learn, but as I continue to grow, it is my desire to share the truths God is teaching me. Welcome back to the No Higher Calling podcast. I have uh, hinted at this episode coming a couple times now, Um, but Simeon is here on the podcast with me. Hello. And we have been setting a goal, I guess, for the past two years. Part of our reading goal is to read one book together per quarter. And last quarter, we read the book Cherish by Gary Thomas. Um, I am friends with Erin Bates Payne, who has been on the podcast before uh, two different times, and she just has sang this book's praise um, as really one of her and her husband's favorite books on marriage, and um, we are like-minded friends, so I take her opinion um, as a high opinion. And so I said, Simeon, I think this is a book that we should read. I've read a few other things by Gary Thomas, so I knew it was it was going to be great. Um, but we really, really enjoyed going through this book. And we had read a marriage book together, I think a couple years before this one, but it had been a while since we went through like a marriage specific. I know we, we did done... at least one last year. I feel like we did at least one last year, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. We've done some other parenting books Yeah, we've and done things fam, like, like so... family related and that yeah. usually touches on marriage. Um, but as far as like a marriage specific, I think this is the first one that we've done in a while. Um, but it was really good. So we are going to just kind of share the highlights of what we learned from the book. Um, I'm going to let Simeon kind of introduce the main topic, what the book was about. And then we're actually just going to kind of bullet point through some of our favorite quotes from the book. And as, like, we'll read a quote, and then we'll discuss why we thought that that was so profound. (laughs) And then we'll move on to the next one. So that's kind of how this format is going to look like um, as we go through it. I will link down in the show notes where you can find the book um, on Amazon. I would highly recommend uh, adding it to your family's library and reading through it with your husband. Which let me go ahead and say, if your husband is not listening with you, this is a great episode to uh, bring him on as we are talking about marriage specifically, and it takes two. So if you want to either put this on pause or go and grab him quick, um, it's a great one to listen together as Simeon joins me to talk about uh, what it means to cherish your spouse. So let's really just start there 
Um, babe, do you want to share what, what does it mean to cherish? Like why that word? Sure. And if I had one criticism of this book, it might be the only, the only criticism I would have right off the bat is that the word cherish is not found in the scripture. Um, but it is found in the marriage vows that at least those of us in the Western world, when so we got married. So your one nitpicky thing about the book is the name is of the, the title. Book. Yeah. It's the whole yeah. Pre- but no, I don't pre- think it's wrong. <laughs> I don't think it's wrong. I just, as a preacher and a pastor, I'm, I'm a biblicist. I like things use to have scripture. Yeah. I like to use Bible words for things, but that that's not a criticism of the book itself. The content is, is fantastic. Um, but he, the title obviously comes from the marriage vow that to all of us in the Western world take, yeah. which is to love and to cherish until death do us part. Um, so he hones in on that second part of it because we all understand the word love, or at least we say we do. And um, he hones in and he says, no, 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 the marriage vow is more than a vow just to love another person. It's a vow to cherish another person. And what does that look like? Okay, um, so define love. What, what, what is he comparing and contrasting these two? So so when he, when he speaks in the book about cherishing, he's talking about what I would call biblical love. There's a difference between what the world defines as love and what the Bible defines as love. And, and so what he's saying in, in the word cherish is biblical love within the confines of marriage, which is an extra special biblical love. Um, so love, the word love simply means, in essence, to put someone else above yourself or to value someone else above yourself. The word cherish from what he delves into and what we find in the scripture is for a man to put his wife above himself and for a woman to put her husband above herself. Um, and so we find that really all throughout the scripture, but especially in the New Testament, um, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, he really hones in on that idea. We like to talk about the love chapter, um, and but that's not that's not you know the whole the whole topic. We talk about that for me, the number one scripture, in all of the Bible, when it comes to being a husband, is husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's to me, that's that's the number one thing in the, all of the Bible about being a husband. But that word cherish is in that the idea there being that she is all in all to me. And the main passage, the main scripture he uses in the book is Song of Solomon, chapter six, verse nine in which it says, my dove, my undefiled is but one. She is the only one. And so the main thrust of the book is that the person that you are married to ought to be the only one, the only person that you have desires for, the only person you seek to be married to, the only, you know, to to the extent that you are Adam and Eve. There, There is only you. He gave that illustration in the book and it was really good because, you know, when Adam had Eve, there was no Sarah. There was no Jane. Um, there was Eve and only Eve. He had nothing to compare her to. She was perfection to him because she was woman and there was none other. Um, so in this idea of cherish... He said, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, you've made this commitment. Um, you have promised that till death do us part. Now you you cherish. They are your one and only. 
Um, and, and, you know, sometimes that is a, with a hearty amen, yes, oh my goodness, he's my knight in shining armor. And other times that's a really hard pill to swallow because maybe you realize <laughs> this isn't who I thought it was or, or life or seasons have, have come in and changed. But he gives the challenge of of cherishing and the bible talks about um you know how the the unbeliever can be literally wooed to christ by the faithfulness of a believing spouse and so much i i see in this uh step of of the cherishing you know I, I, like i said for better or for worse simeon is my adam there is nobody else i should not be comparing him um, it is him and him alone. And if I'm only focused on him, um, you know, and take that comparison away, a lot of those uh, little things I might get upset about or bitter about, or, um, you know, like, well, why can't you be more like this? Or why aren't you more like that? Or, you know, why can't you lead family devotions like he does? Or why can't you play with the kids like he does? Or why can't you bring me flowers, you know, twice a week like he does? Um, no, I'm not comparing. He is my one and only. I think one of the more insightful things that he brought out in the book was when we compare people to other people, we are comparing when a, for instance, when a, when a man compares his wife with the other women around him, he's automatically making an unfair comparison because he's comparing the worst aspects of his spouse with the best aspects mm, of other yeah, people. Yeah, that was really good. And that's what we do by automatic because we're not thinking about the negatives of other people. So you might have this one thing that I view as a flaw and this other person might have that one thing and I see it as a positive. But if I was married to that other person, you know what I would see? I would see all their flaws and I would be looking at you and saying, oh, but look at her. Look at what she can do. But I'm not seeing your flaws. Yeah. So you're married to the person you're married to. And the other main illustration he brought out in the book, which I thought was, was I you know, not my favorite illustration, but I thought it was quite powerful, was he talked about a ballerina. And he said that when you go to a ballet, the man's job in that one-on-one -on -one dance with the one ballerina and the one man the prima. Yeah. is to lift her up to make her the center of the show. And when the spotlight falls at the end of that particular dance, it falls on her doing a pose and he fades out of the spotlight and disappears. Nobody remembers the male ballerine, like whatever they're called. I don't know what they're <laughs> I called. Think, I think they're ballerinas yeah, too. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, they, no, they have another name, but um, nobody remembers them. Nobody, unless you are like a, ballet aficionado and even then you probably don't know obviously who they are. we aren't <laughs> um but everyone remember the, the most famous person is the prima ballerina she's the only one but the reality matters. is she would not have the spotlight in the same she way she can't lift herself in the air yeah. she can't spin herself she can't catch herself she needs him but he is not seen nor is he important to the audience and when you are cherishing your spouse, what he uses that illustration for is he says, when you're cherishing your spouse, you get great satisfaction when the person that you're lifting up is in the spotlight and you're not. And that's really hard to do. It is very it's really countercultural. <laughs> it's countercultural. It's also it's also counter uh, nature. Yeah, flesh. It's counter our flesh. Our flesh wants to be in the spotlight all the time. 
But when you're cherishing your spouse properly, you're constantly lifting them up and putting them in the spotlight in ways that make them look good, not because you want to look good, because you're standing out of the spotlight when you do that. Well, you know, we live in a world that thinks that marriage exists to make you happy. And if you're in a marriage and it doesn't make you happy, then you just move on to the next one and hope that that one makes you happy. Um, but you know, about you. <laughs> then you have the opposite end of the spectrum. And I've heard this saying, you know, marriage isn't to make you happy. It's to make you holy. And in, in some ways I understand that and I get what they're trying to say. Marriage is sanctifying and but Christ marriage, designed it that way. But marriage can't make you holy. God makes you holy. And that if you're using your marriage to make you holy, you've got a whole nother set of problems. <laughs> it is a tool though that the Lord, I mean, parenting has made me holier. Yeah. <laughs> and in the same way marriage has. But I feel like when, you know, this, this type of love that we're talking about, this type of cherishing, this type of biblical foundation for what God intended for a man and wife it will not only make you holy, it will make you happy. And it's a different happiness than what we see portrayed on, you know, the 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 movie screens or the billboards or, you know, wherever you look in the world. It's a different happiness. But like Simeon was saying, there's something that is just an upside down way that, that God, I mean, God's way is, is right side up. I shouldn't say it that way. His way is right side up. Our view through our worldly lens is upside down. But when you are seeking to make the other one happy, the other one lifted up, the other one in the spotlight, it in turn blesses you and encourages you. And it in turn makes your partner, yours, your spouse want to do the, it's a reciprocated thing. So when we talk about love and we talk about cherish, you know, the love was the foundation. And um, when we talk about this love, you know, it, emotion comes into that. Obviously, physical attraction comes into that. Um, but, but love is a choice that you make. It is a commitment that you make. I um, mean, really, as believers, this is a covenant. This is a three-way covenant between you, your spouse, and God. Um, so this, the love is the foundation, um, and you know, there are, there are highs and lows in marriage, just like in anything in life. Um, there are some days where like the love is strong and there are other days where the, the choosing to love is strong, but this cherish is really built upon that foundation of, I will choose to love you through it all, whatever. And this cherish takes it to the next of, okay, not only am I making this choice, I am also choosing to take that next step and how can I best express to you, you are my one, you are my only, you are my everything. How can I not just love you, but how can I make you feel loved? Um, and really that leads me into just this last question here as we introduce this topic. And you touched on this a little bit. What you said earlier was really good. So if you don't bring this up, I'm going to circle back around to it. But why is it that true cherishing can only happen as God intended by one who is loved and who is growing in their love of Christ? Why is, why is that so integral into a person's ability to love and beyond that to cherish their spouse, that love of Christ? I think it's because it takes supernatural aid. Um, you cannot be selfless. Even if you're perfect. I mean, let's look at Adam and Eve again. Yeah. They were perfect. 
and they were not able to fulfill this this command to love and cherish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they were able before the fall, um, but in their sin nature, um, they could no longer fulfill this obligation. And in fact, one of the curses of the sin, uh, one of the parts of the sin curse was that their attitudes towards one another would change. For instance, God gave Adam a command. Then he gave him a wife. That meant that the command that God gave Adam, Adam was to lead his wife in, right? And that was the established order. But immediately upon the fall of man, now the the Bible clearly says that her desire would be toward him. In other words, not that she would desire him, but that she would desire to be him, to have his responsibilities, Mm -hmm. to you know, for lack of a better term, to wear the pants in the family, right? So that that automatically changed with our sin nature. And so because of that, all of us born sinners, it we're incapable of cherishing someone else more than we cherish ourselves. And we have to have supernatural aid to cherish another person properly. And so, yeah, I think I think that's the main thing is that true cherishing, it, it, it can't happen as God intended because our flesh wants to do the opposite of what God intended. And it takes us being devoted to Christ first and allowing him to change us from the inside out. And then once we have a proper relationship with Christ and we understand, we can look at the example of Jesus and how much he cherished us in giving of himself and putting us in the spotlight when he put himself on a cross. Um, Wow. I mean, what an example, an illustration of what we're supposed to do. And then, like I said, in that that scripture passage I quoted earlier, that, you know, a man is to love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He literally buried himself so that the church could be in the spotlight. And here we are in the church age today, and we are the light of the world, the Bible says. So we're, we are the spotlight now, not because we're special, but because God has given us a place of responsibility now, we're the ones in the spotlight shining the light of Christ to the world. So that that whole concept of being able to cherish someone else, it can't happen. It's impossible unless we first have given ourselves to Christ and recognize that he was the original spouse, the original cherisher who, who, who decide, desired to lift us up out of the miry clay that we were in and make something big out of us, even though we're worthless. And now we, in turn, as Christians, have an opportunity to cherish him by lifting him up. And he said that he would draw all men unto himself when we do that. And then we take that example of Christ and his church and we apply that to man and woman in a marriage. I lift you up, and then in turn you lift me up, and we both thrive as a family, as a unit, in the same way that we lift up Christ and Christ lifts up the church. And it's really, it's quite a, it's quite a beautiful thing. I think we have to be so careful where we get our definition of love and of cherish and of marriage from. Um, you know, as parents, we've got to guard this with our children because like we said earlier, the world's message of what those things are are so anti-Bible, anti-God's design. Um, you know, God is the only one that can create. Um, God created marriage. God created man. God created woman. Satan cannot create, but he can counterfeit. And that is what he has done. He has come in with counterfeits that might prove or uh, look 
on the onset like they are better than God's design, but they never will be. They will always leave uh, a, a vacancy and a void in our hearts. And I, you know, I think in my own life, the more I come to understand the attributes of God and who he is and how he loves me, the more I see, the, the more I understand his love the more desirous I am to reflect that. Um, but that so often is focused in my parenting. You know, as I see him as my father, I then seek to be the mother who is patient, the mother who is long-suffering. And, and that's great. Like a, a huge part of No Higher Calling is motherhood. That is so important. But I think sometimes especially as we are just in the thick of parenting and we're trying to get it right so that we raise good kids. Um, sometimes our marriage can take a back burner and we have to be very careful um, that that is not the case because I truly think that one of the best things that you can do for your home and for your children is to show them a Christ-like marriage. They're not going to see a perfect marriage. Actually, they're going to get a really close look at an imperfect marriage. But if they can see a mom and a dad who are trying, who when they fail, they ask for forgiveness. They try to get back on the path. You know, a just man falls seven times, but gets back on it. Um, I think that speaks more to them than any lecture that we could give to them. Um, so we have to get our example from Christ, from his word, as we are seeing what he in what he defines love as, what he defines this this charity, this cherishing, we then reflect that in our marriage. So let's just go through a few quotes here. The first one we've already really addressed, so we won't spend too much time here, but it's a really good quote, so we're going to link it with something that we already said. Um, but he, the author Gary Thomas said, It is a prayer first. Lord, let me look at my wife as the only woman in the world. Then it is a choice. Then we guard our hearts and keep our focus. It requires a recommitment when we stumble. We will have to go back and pray again. We will have to choose again. Our wives aren't just our first choice, but our only choice. And and we touched on that pretty extensively. Um, but I love the way he says, uh, you know, couples that, okay, pray for the power of the one who we've already established is the only one that can help you do this. And then you have to choose. And we are fallen human beings. And more than likely, we are going to stumble. But it's, again, this process of pray and choose. Yeah. Pray and choose. And I think one of the things that he brought up a couple of different times in the book that was really powerful, and we may have a quote on it somewhere in this list, I'm not sure, but um, he talks about how when you're, when you're dating, when you're, when you're courting or whatever you want to call it, you are comparing people. Okay, that's our very next quote. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. We can get into that in a second. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I'll read it and then you can go with what your thought is, okay? So the next one is critically comparing is what girlfriends should do with boyfriends, not what wives should do with husbands. Yeah, and I think that it like it, it works perfectly with the last quote in that he says, Why our, our wives aren't just our first choice, but our only choice. When you're dating, you have the ability to look. And, you know, I hope that I'm going to set the kind of example that means that my daughters are going to look at dad and say, this is what 
I want for my life. Like that, that's my goal is that my daughters will, they'll be looking at dad and saying, does he, does he measure up to dad or is he better than dad? Um, but at the same time, they're going to be looking at other young men and they're going to say, okay, but this young man has shown interest in me. Does he look like the best qualities of these other young men? That's in the dating phase. But once you're married, the comparison game must end because now you can't have eyes for anyone else. You can't even allow yourself to compare one person to another person because you now get the good, the bad, the ugly, the disgusting, and the great from that person. All of it. Well, we love to quote Song of Solomon 6.3, I am my beloved's and he is mine, uh, in a like mushy love context, which is great. Um, but let's look at it in this context. You are his, he is yours, and that's it. Yep. The one and only. Yep. Good, bad, ugly, beautiful. You're married. Sometimes your beloved comes home with mud on his boots. Sometimes <laughs> your your beloved is in the house with her hair in a mess. I mean, sometimes it's not pretty and it's ugly and you got to deal with it. And but other times it's beautiful and it's amazing. And I think one of the one of the awesome things that he got to about in this book was was the idea of yes, you see, you recognize, you can't completely ignore the stuff you hate or the stuff that's bad about your spouse. But when you're cherishing your spouse, you're putting all of their good things in the spotlight and accelerating those good things and talking about those good things. And you're, 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 you're elevating the things that are right in their life. That doesn't mean you never acknowledge the bad things. It means that you're putting the good things in the spotlight for everyone to see. And when you do that, one, you innately love that person more because you are purposefully choosing to see the greatness that's in them, that God gave them the talents and the abilities that he gave them. But you're also, that person is now responding to the fact that you have elevated them and some of their negative traits that they will recognize and they'll start to work on because they're seeing that you cherish them for who they are, for who God made them to be. And now they're going to have the self-esteem and the desire to actually change some of the things that are not good. Because before, if you just beat somebody, especially, oh goodness, ladies, if you beat down your husband all the time, men don't function like women. We just don't. And, and mentally, uh, a man whose wife does not show that man respect, or he doesn't feel like at least he's receiving respect, men shut down. We're just not wired for that. And if we're not, if we feel like we're not being respected, we can do one of two things. We can go somewhere where we do feel like we're being respected, or we give up even trying to be respectable because we're not getting the respect anyway. And so, but when you put a man in the spotlight and you say, I respect you. And these are the reasons why I respect you. It, for men, just psychologically, it makes us have an innate desire to be more respectable, to be better. And that's what I think he's really driving at is, you know, we, we talk a lot about self-esteem. I used that word earlier. I don't really even like that term, because I don't think we should look at ourselves that way, but there is an aspect of I desire to be even better because she thinks I am something 
that I don't even think I am, but she thinks I am. And that can drive me and push me to do even more and to be even better. Um, just another comment on, on this quote here. It talked about comparing is what girlfriends should do with boyfriends, not wives with husbands. Um, it's flip-flopped, I think. Uh, a lot of times in that dating phase, you only see the stars. It's infatuation. <laughs> it is, really. It is. And and I, I, I get, I mean, I was, you know, we were 18, 19, 20 once. And yeah, I mean, you, you could do no wrong. You were perfect. You were, you were the one and only, you know, and, and in that phase. Um, How many young girls were warned by dad and brothers not to follow after that guy? How many guys were warned? Yeah, and and you or you bring up the red flags, but no, they can only it's those rose colored glasses. I guess we talk about. Um, But then it's like all of a sudden you get married, and this light light switch flips, and all of a sudden you can't find one good thing. It's all the negative. Um, So I, I do think I thought that was a really good thing to bring out. Um, you know, and, and now I've, I've seen the other extreme where, you know, you've got these teenage girls who have such a list of, you know, you have to have brown eyes, you have to be over six feet tall, you have to be able to sing tenor, you know, like the, it, there's no guy out there that's going to meet all of these qualifications. And, but if I, you, and if you meet him, there's 150 other girls that want him too. And um, <laughs> you're probably not going to get him. <laughs> but I do think that it, it is good to to talk to younger people. I mean, at this point we're married and I'm probably talking majority to other married women. If there's any single women out here, there, here's a good point for you. There's plenty of married women um, that still have that list. There's plenty of married men who still have that list too. And they have to burn it. But I think as we're encouraging uh, single people, you know, that is the time to as much as you possibly can through raging hormones and emotions to try to see the reality of of the person, see the good and the bad and and bring that to the Lord and, and ask, is this the one for me? But then like Simeon said, once you get married, you know, so what? He can't play the guitar or whatever, like... You've, you've, you're married. Um, so then the next one is a little bit lengthy. So it says the day you start thinking business success, ministry success, or personal happiness is more important to you than cherishing and showcasing your spouse is the day you stop cherishing your spouse and start feeling more distant from your spouse. You're essentially having a love affair with yourself and you can't grow more intimate with your spouse when you're cherishing someone else. It is spiritually impossible. The more you focus on yourself and have a love affair with yourself, the less you will cherish your spouse. We talked about this earlier, um, how everything is just centered on on me, on my happiness, on my feelings, on um, my elevation. But I thought, I mean, a, a love affair with yourself is pretty strong language. Um, but I think he's right. Oh, he's absolutely right. Um, culture, film, television, psychology, all of it is angled toward, are you happy? Are you happy? And if you are not happy, then you need to change whatever it is that you think is making you unhappy. But God has designed human beings to be at our happiest when we are serving others. And we are never happy when we are serving ourselves. We, we, we can't be happy when we are serving ourselves. We think we can, 
and our flesh thinks we can, and the devil thinks makes you think you can, and the world and the culture around you makes you think that you can, but you cannot be happy when you're serving yourself. You know why? Because as soon as you've served yourself one thing, you want something else. You always do. And this concept that he that he brings out here is that when you've placed something else above your spouse, you may not even realize it, but when work becomes more important or when when, you know, games or when buddies, your friends or whatever becomes more important than your spouse, it's not that other thing that's more important. It's you wanting something else. You are cherishing something else other than your spouse. And when you do that, yeah, like you said, you're, you're automatically on a destructive path whether you realize it or not. Your spouse and you are going to grow apart purely because something else is more important than your spouse in your life. And you've put something else in the spotlight. I thought spring morning. It is so easy to do that too. It is so easy to do it. And you don't even realizing you don't even realize you're doing it. Um, I think one of the things that's helped us is we have found a way to have do activities together, whatever those activities might be, whether it be the family day or reading a book together or whatever, just being together because it forces us to spend time focusing on one another. And that makes it a lot easier, but it doesn't mean it just happens automatically. You, you have to do it. You have to make it a point to do it because the world will swallow your time if it can. Well, I think we see this illustrated really well. And, and we talked a, a little bit ago about how God was the creator of all things good and beautiful. And then Satan comes in with his counterfeit. Um, but I think, you know, so often when we talk about marriage, you know, intimacy and sex comes up. So in God's perfect design, I think sex is this, the, the, like the ultimate cherishing. It is a realm in which you can cherish your spouse in a way that nobody else can. But Satan comes in with his counterfeit. Um, you know, and I, I think so many of us have heard the, you know, well, you, you can't marry somebody until you've lived with them. How do you know, how do you know they're, they're good? How do you know that uh, you enjoy them? How do you know that they're going to make you happy, that they're going to fulfill you unless you X, Y, Z, unless you sleep with them, unless you've kissed them, unless you've, um, you know, lived together for, you know, a couple months, all these different things. But there again, it's so you centered instead of the other person centered. And it's just, we've got to separate in our confused world um, where sometimes these ideologies of, of culture and worldly thinking gets muddied with Bible and Christian. And, you know, then we've got messages that are labeled as Christian, but <laughs> that's very loosely or sometimes even wrongly labeled. And um, we've, we've got to sort through that. And I think that's where he does a really good job of just getting to the, the root of, of truth. What is God's purpose? And from that, we build upon. There's a famous story um, in football. So you guys that are listening, you'll have something to listen to that's interesting, I guess. Um, but there's a famous story what, about... do you think this is an interesting <laughs> so far? There's a famous story about... 30 minutes um, of quality content. <laughs> yeah, the old, the old Green Bay Packers quarterback named Bart Starr. He had a linebacker. Um, and they were... 
at the very end of the game, they're about to lose the game. I can't remember exactly what game it was a playoffs or a Super Bowl game, um, but they're they're about to lose. They're behind. They have to score. There's only a few seconds left on the clock, and it all becomes about we've got to score. How are we going to score? The, co- the 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 coach pulls them aside and he looks at the linebacker in the eyes and he says, "You have to hold the line. You have to push forward no matter what." He had to make a hole open for Bart Starr to get across to score a touchdown. He does that. He gets at the bottom of this pile. He hears the touchdown. He he knows it's all happened. The fans are going crazy, and people start screaming, Bart, 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 Bart. And he's sitting there thinking, what do you mean, Bart? I did all the work. Why is everyone yelling Bart? And he looks over at the sidelines, and the only person not yelling Bart is the coach. He looks him in the eyes, and he just gives him a thumbs up. And the linebacker all of a sudden realized it's not about me. And he starts yelling, Bart, 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 because it didn't matter. They won. They got the points. They won the game. It doesn't matter who got the glory. And so that that story is, is an illustration of what we're talking about here. It's not when you're cherishing your spouse, you don't care if you're the one in the spotlight. You're cherishing them. They're in the spotlight. They're the one that matters. And, um, and so that, that concept is really when he goes through all of this stuff in this book, um, it's, it's excellent. It's excellent. And it giving us that concept of lift up that other person, let God use them and be excited when God uses them and puts them in the spotlight. We have quite a few more quotes to get through several of these we've already touched on. So I'm just going to kind of read them and we'll quickly move on to a few that we haven't addressed. Um, but another one says to live lives of cherishing our spouses. We must be wary of cherishing too much of something else. We cannot live with appropriate intensity for our spouses. If we are pouring ourselves out on something else, we've talked about this before in other aspects of life, but there's only so much time. There's only so many resources. There's only so much of you to give. If you're giving you to whatever other than your spouse, um, eventually you run out. Eventually there's nothing less left. Um, so I just, I, you know, again, we've kind of touched on that. I don't know if you have anything you want to say on that one, but um, another one is the more you cherish your spouse, the more joy you'll have in your relationship. When you see others adore and admire your spouse, it makes your heart adore and admire your spouse that much more. And I do think that is something that we have to be careful of, especially as women. I don't necessarily know how men are. I'm not used to locker room chatter. (laughs) But as far as women, I feel like we can tend to just, it's easy to kind of bash our men when it's women talk. Um, but we, we need to guard against that. And, and I understand there are times and there are places and there are situations where you need to get counsel. You need to get help. Maybe your husband has a serious issue that you need wisdom and biblical advice on. Um, but, you know, the mom's night out is not the place to air out your dirty laundry or his dirty laundry. You know, you hope that he's not doing that to you with his guy friends. Um, so I think it's just you be very appropriate in, in how you do that. I think this is one key difference between men and women. Men only talk about their wives if they're bragging on them, which means that most men never talk about their wives. 
<laughs> okay, they just don't. They don't. Because guys don't like to bring up uncomfortable things, period. We just don't talk about our problems. And it's a pride thing. On the other hand, women tend to talk about the things that they don't like with their girlfriends, right? And so that's why that dynamic happens. The ladies all talk bad about their husbands. The men don't talk about their wives at all, yeah. both of which are bad. Well, and I mean, I, I mentioned my friend Erin earlier who recommended this book. Um, one of the reasons why I took her advice on marriage is because I feel like this is something that she has done well. And, and she's a public figure. I mean, you, you can find her on all the social medias and stuff, but she is always singing Chad's praises. And it, it is attractive in the sense that, like, that's a beautiful marriage. And, you know, when you find a person that that is so good at building up their spouse. It is beautiful. It is unique. He gives the story in the book. I don't know if you remember this about this guy who is just talking about this knockout babe that he married and like telling all his guy friends, like, wait till you meet her. Oh my goodness. Like, I mean, hot. And then they see his wife and they're like, are you looking at the same woman I'm looking at? Like, that's your wife? I mean, they didn't say that to the man, to the yeah, husband, yeah. but to each other. What it was they're was like, when he and his wife walked away, they looked at him and said, yeah, we don't get it either. <laughs> yeah. That's what they said. So apparently she was not all that he thought she was. But, but he, thought, but she he was. thought she was. And that was all that mattered. Yeah. Their opinion? It wasn't their wife. It wasn't their Eve. Uh, but her Adam thought that she was his Eve. Um, and yeah, and I don't think he says this in the book, but this is something I've gotten from my own life, my own personal experience. But men, when you talk well about your wife with people, when you brag her up, it puts a protective shell on you. And I experienced this when I was in the workforce, in the public sector, I did not have problems with women at work. I just didn't. And there were a couple of things that I did. I didn't put myself in situations that were going to get me in bad spots. But I talked about Brittany all the time, especially. There's a lot to talk about. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when there were women at work or when I was working in proximity to women. And I just didn't have a problem because they knew this guy's in love and he's not available. You make yourself vulnerable. When you are talking with the opposite sex in a negative way about your spouse. Yes, you do. Especially men. But when a woman, I'll tell you right now, the guys that I worked with, when a woman talked about her boyfriend or about her husband in a negative way, it told all the guys at work she's dissatisfied and therefore available. Yeah. Because men, we are naturally conquerors. We're fighters. That You just made your man a target. And, and, and you, know, you just don't do that. It, you are you are setting yourself up for disaster when you do that. Another one says, as we learn to love and therefore give to our spouse, we not only become the best version of ourselves, we offer our spouse the chance to become the best, best version of him or herself as well. We kind of touched on the beginning portion of this earlier. Um, you know, when you think that I am just the best of the best, I know I'm not. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I am such a list person and I do tend to be very self-analytical and self-critical. So I've asked Simeon before, like, 
just make me a list of all my faults so that I, I can prioritize and work on them. I don't think he's ever going to do it, which is probably smart. But I have my own personal list, so that's okay. Um, but, but all that to say, you know, I know I'm not what he thinks that I am. But because he thinks that I am something that I know I am not, I aspire to be that. But flip-flop that. Um, as he says here, you know, we also are giving our spouse the chance to become the best version of themselves as well. Set people up for success. Just set people up for success. If I learned nothing else from my time in the secular workforce, um, because they, I, I got put in, in leadership positions and things, one thing I learned was that my success was dependent on the success of other people. Whether you like it or not, it's just a fact of life. And when you set other people up for success, you set yourself up for success. Now, take that and apply that to marriage. It's a little bit different because you're supposed to be doing it for selfless reasons. But the fact of the matter is, when you help your spouse succeed, you will find immeasurable satisfaction in that. And I'm, I'm talking from personal experience. The stuff that Brittany's been able to do is incredible. And... I have a I have a part in that and I you know I'm I'm grateful for the part that I've had in that but setting your spouse up to succeed most spouses set their spouse up for failure they tell them it's not going to work they don't encourage them in any way shape or form and they give their spouse this attitude of well I'm going to prove you wrong but the first chance that it doesn't work it's I told you so that's we, not helping anybody. When you get married, I mean, the Bible says you become one. You are a unit. You are a team. I keep having playing in my head, we're all in this together. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, you're either going to thrive as a couple or you're not as a couple because you are united in that way. Prayer is so integral and integral to all of this anyway, too, because when God gives you something to do, when God gives one of you something to do, he gives both of you something to do Mm -hmm. because we're one, whatever task he gives one of you, he's giving both of you. So you're not helping yourself by cutting your spouse down. If it's something God wants them to do, you're only hurting yourself. Another one says cherishing thus means taking the time to notice and then to verbalize either to yourself or others their excellence. We've talked a lot about verbalizing to others, Um, but I think it's really good to, I mean, it seems so simple that we might overlook, but sometimes your first step, this is, if this is an area that you're struggling, if this is an area that's new, um, if you are struggling to find the positive you have to start <laughs> with your own mind, with your own self. Um, and it starts with first noticing. And then maybe you need to verbalize to yourself so that you can then verbalize to your spouse, so that you can then verbalize to others. Um, you, you have to look. You have to be willing to look for it. Um, but then you have to be willing to acknowledge it. I think, too, like if, if, you, if, you, keep, if you keep in mind – like have this idea that every day is Valentine's day. How do you feel about that person on special occasions, on special days? What do you write in their cards? What do you say about them on Facebook? And then, I mean, what did you fall in love with? Exactly. And then genuinely think and feel that way about that person all the time. 
Why do we act like we have to say things on special occasions and then not say them on the regular days? I mean, most of us men are horrible about saying things on the special occasions, let alone on ever <laughs> on the regular days. But um, I actually think personally, I'm better at saying it on random days because I never remember the special occasions anyway. But, um, but that, yeah, if, if every day is Valentine's Day, when you're, what are the things that you think of about your spouse that are good? Why can't we focus on those things and accentuate and elevate those things in our spouse, to our spouse, but also to ourselves and remind mm. ourselves what are the things that we love about that person instead of constantly dwelling on the things that we hate about that person? Yeah, that's good. So we have one more that is just a power-packed punch, and then we have two just kind of in summary that we've touched on a tiny bit, but we'll wrap up with those. But um, this next one says, infatuation has to die before authentic intimacy, in parentheses, knowing and accepting, can actually begin. The word intimacy literally has the connotation of knowing. If you're intimate with someone, it means you know them inside and out. Our undergarments are referred to as intimates because they're the part that touches what nobody sees. It's it's that that is the hidden part of a person. So intimacy is when you know and accept, or you're okay with, you understand the parts that are not great. Again, I think if I had a criticism of the book, it was that he he. In some ways, he wanted you to kind of pass over the faults of your spouse. That doesn't mean you never talk about those things. There are times in which you have to address something that's not right or something that if, if your spouse has a sinful pattern in their life or something, it doesn't mean you ignore it. But it does mean that if you know your spouse's faults, you can aid them in avoiding those things. You can also praise them in the areas in which they are succeeding. And I think that's where we're missing. We're really good at smashing our spouses on their faults. We're not good at praising our spouses for their successes. And that's where the, the cherishing, I think most of us are missing the ball on that one. We talked about the infatuation too, when we talked about that dating stage and I mean, don't get me wrong. The memories of the infatuation stage have, has its own specialness. You know, um, that's different once you get married and marriage is much better. I'm not saying I want to go back to our dating days at yeah. all. Um, but there is a uniqueness to that season, to the process of falling in love and um, just all of the things that come with that. But the real beauty is found in that authentic intimacy. Um, and infatuation is not love. We said that earlier. Love is that choice. Love is when you choose to love me, even though when you used that illustration earlier of my hair being up crazy like it currently is. You, you, you choose to look at me and say I'm beautiful. Or, you know, it's just in the... the well, in your case, it's true. But. <laughs> well, thank you. In the raw, everyday, real life, when you choose to know and when you accept what you know, that is where... That's where the the true intimacy and the world um, is, is born. really good at teaching us to accept ourselves for who we are. Right? That's that's the going trend. Is I'm beautiful just how I am. Accept me just how I am. And and we want everyone else to accept us how we are, but we don't want to accept anyone else how they are. And that's complete backwards from what a marriage is supposed to be about. A marriage is supposed to be about accepting them. 
for who they are and helping them to become even better as opposed to look at me, accept me, and, and making it all about me. It's not supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about them. Um, and I, that's that. It, the it, I just had the idea a second ago when you were talking about infatuation. Um, dating is like submitting a resume with a job application. Nobody puts the places they got fired from on their job resume. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's the dating phase. You're showing them all the great things. But after the dating phase, when the infatuation starts to wear off, now they're starting to see the actual work environment, what it's like to work with you now, you know? And so they're seeing all of the bad stuff. And the resume has gotten a few more wrinkles on it now. So that that's why infatuation is never going to be enough to make a marriage last. People who fall in love in Las Vegas and get married over a weekend, it never works. And when it does work, it's because it was pure luck or it's because something else has entered into their life to where they continue to love one another. They've learned to love one another. But the infatuation stage is not why they're still married. Okay, so the last two I'm just going to couple together to really just wrap this up. Um, But it says, The God who cherishes the imperfect you is more than capable of helping you cherish an imperfect spouse. And then the last one is preach the gospel to yourself every day and then live it out every moment. That's the power behind cherish. And that's the basic emphasis behind the gospel. A God who gives himself for imperfect people because he loves them. And then he tells us, give yourselves for imperfect people because you love me. And that's really what it comes down to. The power of the gospel is that a perfect God loves imperfect people and desires to be with them. And if God, who is perfect, desires to be with imperfect people, how much more should we as imperfect people be willing to be with other imperfect people and to be able to accept those imperfect people for who they are and who God made them to be? So within a marriage, we have a lot easier job than God has. He is perfect and has and, and he doesn't have to, but he chooses to love imperfect people. And then he gives us the opportunity to love other imperfect people and we're not even perfect. So how much more should we be willing and able to love other people who also aren't perfect? I thought it was a really good way to wrap up really the topic of the book, the topic of this podcast. Um, because, you know, when you have a, a beautiful marriage, uh, it's easy to dream and to work to make it more beautiful. Or maybe you have a marriage with that's beautiful with a few splashes of ugly. Um, but that's okay. You can move forward. But sometimes when you find yourself in an ugly marriage, it can feel like, where, where do I even go from here? Is there even anything from here? Um, and, you know, as we've been talking through this, we've, we've touched on it a bit. There are different circumstances that require um, different things. Maybe there's outside help needed. Um, maybe there's something going on that needs intervention. But I think it's great just to wrap it up on that reality that none of us are perfect, um, but we serve a God that is And he specializes in bringing beauty from ashes. And he makes all things beautiful in his time. And this cherishing is really something that we cannot do without his power. Um, No matter what your marriage looks like, where where it falls on the beautiful, ugly spectrum, no one can do this on their own. 
Um, but God in you can enable you to do this. And, and I've heard testimony after testimony of, of a husband, of a wife who was in a, a horrid marriage. Um, but God enabled them to cherish in spite of it. And they are now a testimony of the beauty from ashes. Um, and and it, it is, it's amazing. It, it is a testament of God's miracle working power. Um, but I just thought it was it was really good to wrap it up kind of on that thought and on that topic with that challenge. Okay, so there you have it. Those are our takeaways from the book Cherish by Gary Thomas. Um, I'd love to know if you read it and you love it. Uh, I always love to know when people um, enjoy my book recommendations because obviously I enjoy other people's book recommendations. Um, so thanks so much for joining us, Sim. Thanks for chatting with me. Uh, thanks for cherishing me. <laughs> you're welcome. Easy to do. Oh, well, you're pretty great too. But we'll end the podcast now and go have this conversation later. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us. I hope that the No Higher Calling podcast has been a blessing to you. If so, please subscribe, share with your friends, and engage with me on Instagram at nohighercalling underscore. You can also subscribe to receive the No Higher Calling encouragement email on my website, which is www.nohighercalling.org. This includes podcast notes, what I'm reading, spiritual encouragement, a glimpse into my home, and some of my favorite products and resources. You can also enjoy more content on the No Higher Calling YouTube channel. I pray that this podcast will encourage you to fall more in love with Jesus and to be the Christian woman he's called you to be. Thanks for listening.